Hey there, and welcome to episode number 259. So on today's episode, we're going to be diving into a ton of questions that you guys sent in on raising your own chickens. Now, if you missed a couple of episodes back, I did 10 tips on raising chickens for meat. That was episode number 256. Well, a ton of you, which thrills my heart, are going to be raising your own chickens this year as a form of food. So be it your meat birds and or laying hens. And from episode number 256, I had shared when it comes to meat chickens, like it was a deep dive. You're going to want to go and listen to that episode if you haven't already. But I had a lot of people send in questions on if you are picking a dual purpose meat chicken bird, meaning you can raise them for eggs as well as to butcher for meat. You had some questions about what to do with your flocks, especially if you were planning on using some for eggs and some for meat, or if you were getting baby chicks that you were using for laying hens, what to do after the first six weeks. I also had a podcast episode that went over the first six weeks when you have baby chicks and you're bringing them home, how to take care of them. But a lot of people had questions about what are the next steps. So that's what we're going to be diving into on today's episode. If we have not met before, let us have an introduction. My name is Melissa K. Norris. I am your host, founder of the Pioneering Today Academy, melissaknorris.com, and author of three books, including my newest book, The Family Garden Plan, Raise a Year's Worth of Sustainable and Healthy Food for Your Family. And if that didn't give it away, this is the place where we share and talk about all things homegrown and homemade. And I'm so excited to meet you. Okay. Diving in to business here. So a lot of people had a question and that was, If I'm going to be getting dual purpose meat birds, do I need to keep them separate from my laying hens? And this could also be asked and was asked too, as well as the meat birds. Can I just integrate all of the flocks together? So I have them all in one coop, one run out, and I'm just taking care of everybody in the same spot. Well, we do not integrate our meat chickens with our laying hens for a couple of reasons. Now, our meat birds, I do not, am not raising dual purpose. So these meat birds are a Cornish cross and they are ready to butcher at about eight to 10 weeks. And you don't let them go beyond that because they will outweigh what their organs and their feet, their legs are going to be able to support. So I went into more details on that in that previous episode. So you can check that out. But because these birds, the way that they have been bred and the way that they eat and because they've got that shorter lifespan, which is great for getting them to meat size and meat production age quickly. But they are big, big eaters, which is why we take their food away at night to help combat uh, some of those issues of the organ failure. 
But if you try to integrate them in with your laying hens, you're going to have a battle with the laying hens being able to get to the food and eat because I kid you not, the meat birds in the morning when I go out and feed them, they are like little piranhas. I mean, they just attack the food source and your laying hens are not going to act the same way. And so I don't integrate them together because it's my fear, one, that the laying birds are not going to be able to get to their food. And second, it's going to be a lot harder when it comes to separate the flocks out on butcher day. I just find it because you need to take away the food so many hours prior to butchering, which butchering day uh, has some you know differences that you're going to do, etc. If you guys are interested in an actual butchering podcast when you're butchering your own chickens, let me know. However, I don't integrate the two flocks when it's an actual meat bird breed with my laying hens. The second one for the reason of the food, but really the biggest reason is because when you are integrating flocks, especially when the birds are not being raised by a mama hen that is already part of an existing flock, you can't introduce them until they're of a large size. The reasons are, if you've never raised chickens or been around chickens before, a lot of people don't realize chickens can be vicious. And I mean, they can be vicious to one another. Chickens will kill other chickens and they have a very, very big, they're, I know they're not a herd, but it's almost this like herd mentality. So within your flocks, you have got like top dominant chicken. So this is the head. We don't have roosters, by the way. We don't, I don't have roosters right now on the homestead or within my flock. So when you don't have a rooster, you're who is the protector of the flock, but we can't free range even with a rooster because of the predators that we've got around here. I've tried it and lost um, 18 chickens in two days before. So anyways, that, that might be another podcast story talking about that. However, with your in your flocks, you're going to have what with in cattle speak would be your herd boss, but you've got a main chicken and that is the dominant chicken will boss. Everybody around is the first one to eat and will their pecking order, right? I'm sure people have heard the pecking order. Well, they're at the top of the pecking order. And if you try to bring in another chicken or another flock of chickens, and they're a lot smaller than the more dominant chickens in the existing flock, especially if they're bigger birds, they will beat them up. And once a chicken, unfortunately, has got open wounds on them or where it's red and looks bloody, the other chickens, all of them will come in and peck at that until most times that chicken is dead. They, they'll actually peck them to death. They will kill them. So you don't want to integrate small birds like the, the meat birds and with your existing flock until they're almost the same size. Well, by the time they would be almost the same size where you could begin an integration, it's time for them to be butchered. So it, there's really no point in even trying to do it because you can't do it when they're baby chicks. Now, with your dual purpose birds, or if you were getting some baby chicks that were laying hens and you wanted to then integrate them in with your regular flock, then Yes, you can integrate them, but again, you have to wait until they are at full size. So number one, they're going to need to have all of their feathers and they need to be really close to the same size. At least in my experience, 
when they don't have a mama hen. Now, when they have a mama hen who's already been a part of the flock, it's a very different story and you can integrate them sooner because that mama hen, even if she wasn't top of the pecking order, she protects them babies like nobody else and she will protect them and fight back. She'll become top hen in that pecking order. And so I haven't had issues when the mom has been hatching out the chicks, integrating them back in, but very different story when it comes to baby chicks without their mama hen, which is what the majority, a lot of people are doing right now if you're getting new to chickens. So how do you do the integration when you're ready to put them together? Well, your baby chicks need to have reached the point where they no longer need the heat lamp. That's going to be usually between six to eight weeks and also depending upon your climate, but they have to have all of their feathers in. So no more baby down because that down is cute as can be and fuzzy and oh so soft. However, any wind or dampness, rain, wet and wind, it doesn't hold their body heat in. That's, you know, it's so fluffy and whatnot, but it's not good insulation. So they need to have all of their feathers or at least the majority of their feathers in before you can begin taking away that heat lamp, especially at night or in inclemental weather. So they're going to have to be at least uh, six to eight weeks old before that happens. And I like them to be closer in size to the flock I'm integrating them with. So with my laying hens. So usually it's a bit closer to about that 12 to 16, about three to four weeks, excuse me, not weeks, three to four months old before I start to integrate them so that they're closer to the same size. Then when it comes time to integrate them, you need to do it slowly (laughs) so that everything goes well and you don't end up with a dead chicken or one that's been severely hurt and is getting picked on. So ideally, if you can devise in your coop a way that the new chickens coming into the existing flock can be side by side where they can see each other, they can hear one another, they can talk back and forth, but they can't physically reach each other. So a barrier of chicken wire, obviously something that they can see through, but they can't hurt one another is really a good way to go. So if you can do that for at least a few days or close to a week, it allows them to get used to each other without being able to physically go at one another. So it's a great way to just kind of slowly begin to integrate them in. Once you've done that, then a lot of people like to put the new chicken in with the flock right at roosting time. So right in the evening when everybody's getting ready to go to bed, they've went into the coop for the night, they went up on their roost and they're going to sleep. A lot of people will like to then put the new chickens that they're integrating in, in at that time so that when they wake up in the morning and it's light out, they're not actually watching this chicken walk in. It's already in the flock. So that can be a good way to go. But some people try to do that without doing the, the integration beforehand where they can see each other, but there's that barrier up to protect them. They like to do it without doing that. And you can still have consequences. So I prefer, if at all possible, sometimes maybe it's a big dog crate, right? That they can see each other, but they can't get through. That can be used, especially if you're only integrating a couple of chickens and they would fit in one of those really large dog crates inside the coop or the runout area. You could do it that way would work too if you don't have a way of actually getting inside the coop and and creating like a little separate area where they're kind of quarantined off basically. However, no matter what way you go about it and when you 
integrate them. You do need to keep an eye on them. And there will be some pecking order being established. So you're going to hear some squawking. There'll be a couple of pecks going on. That's just unavoidable. It's going to happen with your, with your flock. But you want to keep an eye out on your chickens to make sure that nobody is getting picked on to the point, like I said, that they're actually have, that they're bloody, where they've got really big bald spots from being pecked multiple times, feathers pulled out. And if it starts to turn bloody or raw, then you are going to have to step in and do something. Otherwise, they're going to get pecked to the, usually to the point of death. And I know that sounds morbid, and but chickens are bullies, just the way they've evolved and survived over the years. It's just a fact that you need to know uh, when you're doing this. So if that happens, there's a couple of different options that you can do. If you know right away who your number one hen is on the pecking order or the one that is instigating and doing the most pecking and the most bullying, if you can separate just that chicken out, then that's ideal. Because if you separate her out for a couple of weeks and then bring her back in, she'll no longer be number one on the pecking order. And it's a good way to get things reestablished and stops her from pecking on the one because then she's having to fend herself against everybody else. So it's just reestablishing of that pecking order. But if the chicken that has been initially been getting picked on is to the point that they're bloody, even after taking away the biggest bully, if they have already seen blood in a wound, the rest of them will likely still pick on her. If you have a way of coating the area so that they can't see the red, sometimes that will help. So sometimes people like to use, it's called blue coat. Uh, it's used for wounds and veterinary type things. Um, that can be something. And ideally, you're, you would use something that was dark like that before they're actually red and bloody. Um, but that's an option that, that people have used to try to help combat it. But if she has a really big wound, I've had to take the wounded chicken out, let her get completely healed up, and then try the reintroduction. And I've had pretty good success doing that, letting their, her get healed all the way up. And when it's been an existing flock without introducing a new chicken, then I kind of have to try to assess why are they picking on this chicken? What's going on here? Um, sometimes if you're not, if they're running out of food, if you're not being consistent or you're not feeding them enough and they're hungry, then they're going to attack one of the other chickens and so if maybe food hasn't been consistent or you're going into a time of year where they're maybe not getting as much foraging, we use a chicken tractor, even those mine aren't free range and that I move around the pasture. But in the middle of winter, I don't have that option because if we have snow on the ground, it doesn't really do any good to move my chicken tractor because they're just going to more snow and the grass and everything is growing a lot less, obviously, in the winter months. So I have to feed more in the winter months than I do in the summer. So that can be something to look at is maybe I need to increase their food and they're feeling protective over the food. So that can be an option. Sometimes it can be when we've had too many chickens in the chicken tractor, they didn't have enough space. And so they got to picking each other and they were mad at each other and grumpy as an old wet hen <laughs> or grumpy as a cramped hen and their, their spots. So looking at do they have enough space where they can freely move and everybody's got enough space and they're not at each other's throat from feeling like they don't have any room to move about. So that making sure they've got enough space, that can definitely be an issue as well. But usually those are like if you've had a flock, they've been getting along just fine. And then all of a sudden you notice one is really getting picked on to try to figure out 
why they all of a sudden are picking on her. Cause usually there's something that's changed for some degree or another, and then trying to, to fix that as well as getting her healed up. I haven't really had much picking where I've had to actually take out a new chicken that I've integrated in right away by following, like I said, in having that time period where they can look at each other first and then putting them in at night and just keeping an eye on things. I've been pretty successful with that and haven't had to remove them due to those issues. Now, one of the things that we did have with this last speed, excuse me, this last batch of meat chickens that we got in, we got 25 meat birds in, it was a Cornish cross and the hatchery that we ordered from sent a surprise chick in with them. So you got like an extra bonus chicken, which is a laying breed, not a meat chicken. And as soon as we got them out of their box and into their brooder, because she was quite a bit smaller than them. And of course, very different colored. She's um, really dark with a little bit of speckling, even as a one, two day old chick, they immediately started to pick on her. Like we're already pecking at her. We're already pushing her away, not letting her get in to eat. And so I had to separate her out day one, actually from the rest of the flock but I didn't want her to be all alone. So I took some time and evaluated the meat bird flock and picked the most docile and smallest meat bird out of that flock and put her in with a separate little brooder box that we have with this little laying hen. They have done fabulous together. They are like best buddies and they're getting along really well. So that illustrates my story of if they are of different size, they will go to the outnumbered different chicken and oftentimes pick on them. So just some things to be aware of. Now, if you're planning with your dual purpose heritage meat bird breeds, if that's what you've got and you're planning on raising them to be dual purpose, would you still integrate them in with your laying hens? Well, that depends. I prefer, which is why we do the Cornish cross in that previous episode, I prefer to have everything butchered on one day. It's a system of batching. It's a lot easier and it's a lot faster for me to get all of the equipment out and to devote the time to butcher 25 chickens all at once versus going out and butchering a chicken when we needed it, when we just wanted to, to have chicken for that week or that night or whatever. To me, it's a lot more work to have to go through that process all on different days. So with the dual purpose birds, I would decide how many of them I wanted to raise to full, to full butcher size. And I would keep that amount separate, knowing that they were dual purpose being raised for meat birds. Those I would keep separate so that you didn't have to try on butcher day to go in and separate them out then. I just find it to be easier. And then I would have the ones that I was going to keep as my laying flock, I would keep those ones separate. So that's just kind of personal preference on my part. You could keep them together and then go about on butcher day, uh, separating them out one bird at a time. Now, if you are raising your chickens for eggs and you have new chicks, one of the questions I got asked quite a bit was how old are they before they start laying eggs? It depends a little bit on breed, but for the most part, between four to six months of age, you'll start to get eggs. Some breeds you'll get them a little bit sooner. Some it's going to be later, more around the six month mark. But the great thing 
about your first year chickens is once they start laying, they don't go through the molting stage in the fall, which is in the in the late fall and in the beginning of winter. Your let me say not existing chickens. That's not quite the word, but your mature chickens that are over a year old. There we go. They will go through a molting period where they regrow their feathers. They'll lose a whole bunch of feathers and they'll get a new set of feathers in. And when that happens, they stop laying eggs for the most part because they're putting all of their energy into growing and creating a new set of feathers. So expect a time period where you're not going to get eggs during molting. That usually proceeds as we go into the shortest and coldest days of the year in into the, the winter months. Usually starts usually about around Thanksgiving for me and then through January. And during that time period, you're going to get very little eggs unless you decide to use a artificial light in the coop. And the reason for this, sometimes a lot of people actually think it has to do with the heat and them keeping warm. That's not really the case. What it is, is the number of daylight hours in a day. So animals, this is the same with horses growing their winter coat, cattle, etc. They are triggered to bring in that winter coat. Same thing with your chickens and getting in those new feathers. Any animal that grows a winter coat, etc. As the days start to get shorter and there's less daylight, that's what triggers them to begin to produce their winter coat or get their new feathers. And as the days are shorter, those chickens are not going to be laying eggs. They're conserving their energy because of typically in in the wild when they were, you know, before we domesticated them and took care of them, they knew that food would be scarce. They would need their energy to keep warm, etc. And so they don't lay eggs during that time period. Well, if you use a light, one, it does provide some heat. A lamp is going to present provide some heat, but it tricks their body into thinking that it is spring and summertime and tricks them into laying all year long. I like to give my girls a break and follow nature. And I usually get enough eggs during the spring and summer to put some aside that I still don't have to buy eggs in the middle of winter. It's going to depend on how many eggs you're going through, of course, and the size of your family and how many chickens you have, if that's going to be true for you. But it works for us. Also, heat lamps, one, they require electricity. And two, there are big danger to your coop and or barn, whatever, whatever they're where they're living in. Right. If it has any wood or flammable stuff in it, which usually your coop litter has got some straw or sawdust or wood shavings, etc. It's flammable. So for those reasons and that it costs electricity to run, I don't use a lamp at all in our chicken coop and with my laying hands. The only time I use one is when you've got baby chicks, which you have to, or they won't live. So it's a very short period of time. But with your chickens that are over a year old, they're going to go through that molting period. And then you're not going to get eggs unless you're tricking them with a lamp. Totally up to you. You're going to go through a period of not getting eggs. But the cool thing is, is when you have young chicks who are at six months and they're just starting to lay because typically we get them in the springtime. So they're going to start laying end of summer, beginning of fall. They will lay through that whole first fall, winter and spring until they go through their first molt the following year. So that's kind of like a cool added bonus when you have newer chicks in their first year of laying. Now on to our verse of the week. So this is from Matthew chapter five. 
verse 16, and this is the Amplified Translation of the Bible. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your moral excellence and your praiseworthy, noble and good deeds, and recognize and honor and praise and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I decided to share this verse with you today because sometimes when we're really tired or we're exhausted or we're just going through a hard time, which I think a lot of us may be experiencing during these current times, it can be, I don't know if easy is the right word, but it can sometimes you can ask yourself like, goodness is, you know, is, is this worth it? Or you just get tired and you kind of want to take a break. And I think there's sometimes that you do need to take a break and we do need to listen to those signs, but sometimes we need to be reminded to let our light shine. And we have to take care of that light and that inner spark. And we need to nourish our time with, with the Lord and, and feed that. And right now we aren't able, at least where I live in Washington state, we're not able to go to church. We can't have church service. And yes, you can have a relationship with the Lord outside of church and you absolutely should. Once a week church service is is not um, going to be enough usually to sustain a really healthy relationship. We need to to do that on our own and and to take in the word and study and spend time with the Lord via prayer, etc. However, there's a reason that the Bible tells us to meet within our family of God and to not giving up getting together with other brethren and lifting each other up. And so, I have actually been feeling a little bit of a void by not being able to meet with my brothers and sisters in Christ. But this verse reminds me that no matter what is going on, that I need to remember to let that light shine. And the only way that I can let that light shine is if I am connected to the light source, which is Jesus and letting that light shine and then making sure that it is not for my own glory, praise, etc., but back on to him. So I have been spending some time making sure I'm spending time reading the Bible and praying and turning things back over to the Lord and also the gratitude part. You know, I think one of the things that going through this this whole time period and we're still going through it is the things that I took for granted that didn't even realize I was taking for granted. I'm sure many of you are experiencing that as well. And so that's a reminder to be grateful and thankful for the little things, the things that we do have now and the good things, and to make sure that I'm keeping my mind focused on those. And also for those good things, not just being thankful, you know, not just being like, you know, I'm thankful that we have food on the shelf. I'm thankful for the time that we got to spend together today that we normally wouldn't have, but also thanking God for those things. So not just being thankful for them, but actually giving that praise and gratitude back to the Lord. Anyhow, I hope that that helps you in some way, shape or form. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I always enjoy our time together and really appreciate it that you are a listener. And I'm also working on a new episode. Many of you have been asking about organization and time and how you get everything done, especially moving into what's going to be the 
the busy season with the garden and harvest and preserving. So if you've got any specific questions about that, make sure that you leave them in a review of the podcast or shoot me an email because I'm going to be working on, it'll probably end up being a series, (laughs) but I'm going to be working on those episodes very soon. Okay, guys, bye for now. We'll talk soon. Thank you.